might want to sit down for this. This is the new Star Spangled Banner. Let's go. So you probably recognize that song uh, by the Marine Rapper. It's the Star Spangled Banger. Uh, I've used it a few times in the, uh, I guess, most recent episodes. You are listening to the 21 Gun Podcast, the official podcast of Irreverent Warriors, and I am Kevin Sullivan. Tonight we have Mr. Raymond Lott, a.k.a. the Marine Rapper. He is a U.S. Marine Corps combat veteran, a hip-hop recording artist. He served as a combat correspondent with infantry battalions during his deployments to Iraq and then Afghanistan. He earned a combat action ribbon in Iraq and received an award for combat photography during the same firefight. He has been featured on Apple Music, We Are the Mighty, Vet TV, Kill Die Laugh, uh, Oscar Mike TV series, No Shit There I Was on the Go90 Network, and the Range 15 movie soundtrack. The Marine Rapper has performed and hosted on numerous live shows from Los Angeles to San Diego County. TMR strives to motivate others, start conversations, and immortalize his fallen brothers and sisters in the music that he creates. He recently released an LP album entitled Nightmerica, two EP albums, numerous singles, and collaborations that are all available now on iTunes, Google Play, Amazon Music, and Spotify. He is also the creator of Ninja Punch Music, which he collaborated with a bunch of artists from across the armed forces to create an album called Sounds Like Freedom. You can check that album out over at ninjapunchmusic.com. Obviously, head over to... Uh, 21gun.com, spell it out, 21gun, and Irreverent Warriors to find out when we're finally going to get out of this funk, out of this uh, quarantine, and get together for a hike. Hope you guys are getting out there. Hope you're connecting. Uh, Shoot me an email, kevin at 21gun.net. I will get back to you as soon as I can. And without further ado, TMR. Let's start with your backstory. I like to go as far back as possible just to kind of see yeah. where you are and, and, and how you became you. So where, where did you grow up? Cool. Okay, I'm going to go really back. So I was born in Newark, New Jersey okay. um, at the time, a.k.a. Brick City, yeah. um, a.k.a. one of the murder capitals. It's a rough uh, city. I'm scared shitless yeah. in New York. Because uh, Newark is right outside of New York and not a nice place. So... Um, uh, my mom, you know, growing up, she was young. She was like 20 something when she had me and stuff. When she was young and she met my dad, she already knew that she wanted to like move out of that area. She wanted to just get out of there because it was not a nice area. Um, and she didn't want me to grow up, you know, like a thug or anything like that. And just like, just aimless and not have goals and things like that. Um, 
um, at the, around the same time, she ended up meeting my dad, which is, who is also a Marine. Okay. Um, so every male in my family ended up being a Marine. Okay. Which is like weird. My uncles, my cousins, my dad, everybody. Um, so anyways, my mom ended up meeting my dad, who's a Marine, got married, and then ended up, you know, being with him for a little bit. He was artillery. So I call myself a son of a gun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So, um, so he, um, they ended up breaking up, divorcing and stuff. So my mom ended up moving to the West coast and Oceanside, California, Marine Mecca. Like, yeah. And ended (laughs) up, you know, marrying another Marine. So I ended up in Oceanside. So I grew up in Oceanside and Oceanside. It's called it's in the triangle Oceanside, Vista and Carlsbad. And that area was very, beachy and very skateboard and very bmx and very x games and tony hawk grew up around that area so his influence was huge so everybody was skateboarding yeah that's so it, i that's... grew up skateboard on bmxing and not listening to rap at all listen to a lot of grunge rock uh allison chains is like my favorite band my favorite song is rooster you know i have the red hair oh, I look nice. like a rooster. yeah yeah um so i grew up off i grew up off of allison chains it was nirvana presidents of the united states um green day th- stuff like that yeah. i would listen to uh blink 182 um bands like that i would listen to but i did not get into hip-hop or rap and it was around but it like something that was understood very much it was just kind of like more underground it wasn't mainstream and hip-hop wasn't that big except a lot of more of the pop tracks like crisscross and like buster rhymes and, right right and things like that like the the younger and bow wow and things like it really wasn't like mainstream and i started to hear hip-hop in skate videos like a lot of the skateboard videos they would have hip hop and underground uh, rap like Wu Tang and stuff like that. So oh, I heard yeah, Wu Tang, yeah. um, I heard things like that, but I didn't hear like it wasn't like known like okay, hip hop is one of the biggest genres in the world. Not yet. Um, so I was skateboarding and, and doing all of that, and then as I started to grow up, uh, my mom's friend came over to my house and and she saw me skateboarding and listening to rock music and stuff like that, and she was just like, "Hey, you don't listen to rap or what's going on? I see you do all the skateboarding and rock and all this stuff, but like." Uh, because of the stereotypes, was like, oh, you're black. You should be listening to rap or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so she gave me, she gave me, a, and this is the best possible CD that she could have given me. It was a double CD of Notorious B.I.G. Mm-hmm. Uh, Life After Death. Uh, and that blew my mind because B.I.G. is somebody who was just so comfortable in the skin and was somebody who was like, I don't care what I look like. I'm so confident. I'll still take your girl. Like, yeah. yeah, And he was just so, he was self-aware. He was like, I'm black and ugly as ever. However, I stay coochie down to the socks. You know, he would say stuff like that. Like, yeah, I'm black and I'm ugly, but, uh, but I dress good and I smell good and I'll take your girl. Like who who talked like that at that time? No one talked like that at that, at that time. And nobody was talking about the flashy lifestyle and it doesn't matter. You know what I, you know, what I look like, I can do anything. And so as a growing up as a kid and, I, and until um, my junior year in high school, I was 4'11". So I was really small and I was like 90 pounds. So I had low self-esteem growing up thinking, you know, I'm supposed to be this stereotype of a black man. Um, but I, 
gothic, it doesn't matter what you sound like. As long as you have confidence and you're motivated, you can do anything. Basically, that's the message I got from him. You know what I mean? I translated it and I related it to whatever I was specifically going through. And so B.I.G., honestly, B.I.G. is my biggest influence. It's kind of ironic because he's the opposite of me. He's like the big guy and I'm like the smaller dude. Uh, But he actually had the biggest impact on my life. And that made me start freestyle rapping. Uh, Freestyle rap uh, is more of an improvisational type of rap battle type of thing. Um, And I started rap battling other rappers in Oceanside underneath these stairs by the movies. And so so I started to learn how to think off of my head, like freestyle. And so imagine I have my skateboard and we're rapping back and forth. So imagine that type of like vibe. Like we're like beach beach people, but at the same time we're like really vicious with with raps and stuff. And then I remember a lot of times like I would go and I'd try to rap inside of a cipher. A cipher is like a circle of people uh, who are all rapping and beatboxing. And I would try to go in there and say a rap, and they get out. And then I had to learn how to get better, you know. Yeah. So then I started getting into the rap, but then when I started to turn eighteen. Uh, my mom was like, hey, listen, you need to get a job and go to college or get out of my house. And so, you know what I did? I got a job at Taco Bell and started going to college uh, for drafting. But um, I started at Taco Bell as a dishwasher and I didn't like it. And I was wondering why I couldn't excel. And I realized that they made sure that I had enough dishes so they never had to teach me how to make food to be you know, a manager and stuff. So I was just like, okay, well, if we're going to do that, I need to think smarter. I realized that if I wash the dishes faster, they have to teach me like how to do the cooking and all that stuff because I wouldn't have anything else to do if if I do all the dishes. So one day I finished all the dishes all quick and they're like, hey, you're supposed to go back there and do the dishes. And I was like, I already did. And they're like, wow. And then so they had to teach me how to cook. Um, but majority of the time uh, before I became a manager at Taco Bell, I was actually a rapper. Like I wrapped up tacos. Like I was literally a rapper at Taco Bell. <laughs> That's hysterical. So, nice. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, man. See what's and then, what's crazy so about started, that is that? what's crazy about that is that's exactly what. So the the whole idea of those the lowest job you can get into the whole idea is to find out who can do stuff like that, you know, and and they're trying to jack yeah. up uh, minimum wage to fifteen dollars, and all you're gonna do is eliminate folks who who are like yourself, right? Because they're not going to hire yeah. four dishwashers. They might they might hire one and then you lose opportunity. People don't realize that. You got to start from the bottom and it teaches you so much, man. When you're eating when you're eating shit on a daily basis, it 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 drives you or or if it doesn't, then obviously you you're you know, you're destined to fail, but it drives you to to try new things and to to uh, better yourself. So, yeah, I mean, that's like you the perfect story. It. Yeah. You need to eat it. You need to. And I and I and I'm so thankful for those individuals um, who actually like pushed me to do that. And uh, one of the guys who taught me how to be faster, like, like, unfortunately he, he uh, got killed, uh, but you know, RIP, but like these, ind- he was an individual who was actually an immigrant from Mexico. And he taught me how to actually, you know, work faster, work harder, more efficiently. And I'm totally indebted to that dude because without me, like, you know, eating dirt and starting at the bottom, I would probably feel more entitled to this day. And I'm so glad I did. Uh, it was that coupled with my mom talking about you're going to, you're, my mom was always like, Hey, 
you're not going to go out into the world and act any type of way because you're a reflection of me. So I don't want to hear any other mom or anybody coming to me and tell me, hey, you know, your son is acting up. If I hear that, then you're going to be in big trouble. So my mom always instilled in me that type of respect and that type of discipline to show respect to my elders. She's like, I don't even care if they're one year older than you. You will say, sir, sir or ma'am. That's what you will do. You know what I mean? That's how yeah. my mom was. You know what I mean? Um, what my mom is. And she's and it's crazy. She's like 110 pounds and like five, three. But she's you would think she's seven foot. Like that's <laughs> how much like fire she has in her. And she raised five kids. And that's like remarkable. And I like I owe a lot of that to her because uh, she's amazing as nice. well as the other experiences that I had. But then after a while, I started to get very tired of being, you know, at a dead end. Cause I felt like working at Taco Bell is a dead end. And I, I just felt like, uh, the only way I, like, I knew, I knew back then I was a legend, you know what I mean? Legends don't do certain things like that. You know I mean, if you're, you're legendary stuff, you just strive to be not so much in like a, like a cocky way, but just in a, in a way of like, Hey, I have more work to do. And this isn't the only bar that I'm going to reach. There's bigger bars that I can reach. Sure. And you need to expect more out of yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, so, it's, it's being, it's having the ability to see behind the curtain, right? A lot of people go through their life just kind of being characters in this, this thing that we call life and other people look behind the curtain. They say, whoa, there's way more to it than this. There's way more to it than punching a clock nine to five. There's people to be touched. You know, there's, there's things to do. There's, there's way more out there than, you know, how nice your TV is or what car you're driving. And, and I find that a lot of the people that I interview, I, you know, I try to interview successful people kind of have that same, that same characteristic, that, that the feeling that there's something bigger for them. Yeah. It's never enough. And so I started to feel that way. And then I ended up while I was working at Taco Bell, I was a manager, but I ended up running across a Marine Corps recruiter. And this Marine Corps recruiter was a small little five, four blonde Marine, but she's a ball of fire as well. And um, I ended up getting recruited by her because I went, you know, she was like, oh, you've thought about the Marine Corps and stuff like that. And then, and then I kind of like signed up for the Marine Corps. And then I kind of told my mom and she kind of like lost it. And my mom kind of like lost it because I didn't realize what I was doing at the time because I was kind of like in a tunnel vision type of mindset. But I didn't understand that I was literally becoming just like my father. And uh, my mom was like, oh my gosh, you're coming like your father and, um, and going to be a Marine and live that lifestyle. And then on top of that, who knows you're going to die because you're going to go to Iraq and this and that, because um, at the time of me working at Taco Bell, I was also going to college for drafting. like I said, and when I was going to college for drafting, literally I saw the twin towers get hit. And my mom was like very scared at that point um, because it was almost imminent. Like everybody who was signing up at the time were going to Iraq. Yep. And my mom was right. I I did go to Iraq yeah. when I came back. Um, luckily, it's crazy. It's it's so crazy. Let's back up real quick. So so you go you go into the Marine Corps. Did you want to be? I 
I get mixed messages on this one. Some people claim that they wanted to be a, a, a grunt from day one. Others are like, no, fuck that. I wanted to do, you know, aviation or something like that. What Did you go in saying, I want to get into media? I want to get into to combat photography or, or video? Or, or how did that work out for you? Well, that's a great, that's a very great question. I, crazy enough, as much education I had, <laughs> the one thing I didn't really look into was the different jobs of a Marine because I just knew a Marine was a rifleman. And I literally thought everybody was a grunt. I thought everybody was a grunt. Right. So I went there, I signed up open contract. I came back home. I told my mom and she said, don't sign up open contract because I know what that means because your father and you know, friends or whoever in the past have signed up open contract. And that means you're going to be a grunt. So I signed up open contract. So my mom wanted me to go back and she said, go back. You have education. You just graduated college, man. You need to go back and ask for something that you want. And then I started to remember that I was, you know, doing freestyle rapping and all that. And then, so I went back to my recruiter. I was like, Hey, can I, can I get something in entertainment? And she's like, entertainment. <laughs> she's all, she's all come back a little bit later. So I came back a little bit later. She's like, I got you public affairs, now get the fuck out of my office. And then I went to the dep, and then I went to boot camp. <laughs> yeah. And then the thing is, is I went to boot camp on the West Coast. So imagine I'm from Oceanside. I went to boot camp on the West Coast, but um, so I didn't know it at the time, but all the drill instructors had my record. And because they had my record, they were like messing with me all the time. They're like, hey, we know you want to quit. We know you live right there. Why don't you just jump over the fence and go home? Ooh. So imagine you're doing push-ups. You have this crazy drill instructor because Marine Corps drill instructors are crazy. They're loco and they have like their eyes bugging out of their head, yelling at you, big red veins popping out their neck, and they're saying you're a loser. Why don't you just give up and just hop over the fence and go home at one two three Sesame Street or whatever my address was at that time? And and they're saying specifics while I'm already mentally stressed out. And I'm like, how are these guys knowing this? Yeah. But I didn't know they looked through my record and they're just messing with me the whole time. And then they even messed with me even more when they said, hey, listen, I want to check out everybody's job. And then when they when they found out that I was a reporter, they're like, all right, private Joker, you know, yeah. just like. Full so metal I was going to say, it's it. just like Joker and Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> I lit. If you want to know, like literally just put that whole scenario in Iraq. I literally swear like my whole like boot camp, my whole everything was just like that because I was a I was a wise guy. Like I was a, I was a smart ass and, and things like that. And I, I just I talked back and stuff sometimes. And like, you know, we had to write stories and they were just like, oh, cover this, cover that. So there was a lot of similarities and a lot of parallels between me and Joker. And it's just it's hilarious when I look back on it, but I would not ever trade it. Um, but that's basically what happened my mom told me to go back and get a different job. So I had no idea there was different like MOSs yeah. and rates. I thought everybody, because I just watched the movies, you know, you just watch the movies. I thought everybody was a soldier or a troop or whatever, you know? Now what happened was after the boot camp situation, they sent me to a journalism school at Fort Georgie Meade, Maryland. Um, and that's a mixed service type of school. Like okay. every service is there, become a journalist or a broadcaster or something, right? Yeah. So I go there. <clears throat> And I go through school the first time, I fail. I was like a horrible writer, which is kind <laughs> of like, it's it's hilarious because like knowing now is it, you know, it was all worth it. But like, I was one of the worst writers, you know? And 
there's some writers who went through the school who actually the military writers who went through the school who actually did perfect or did good in school but when they got to the fleet and when they got to their units they were the worst writers yeah so basically i had to get reclassed which means they gave me another chance to learn how to be a writer and then that time i totally killed it um and then i still had that i want to be an entertainer type of person in my system mm -hmm. so they had an opportunity to be a broadcaster and when they had that i was just like i'll do the broadcast audition and so i go to do the broadcast audition i fail that and i fail it because they said i mispronounced one word and that word was ask <laughs> that's because funny. i said you know you know i said axe you yeah, know yeah, axe, yeah. axe you know like because i wasn't I wasn't thinking about enunciation. Like I've even made rap songs just mm -hmm. saying ask in there yeah, specifically yeah. out of spite, out of like, Hey, I can say it now, guys. Screw y'all, you know? But anyway, so because I was just a, a regular photojournalist, my time at the schoolhouse was over. So they're like, okay, time for your assignment. And then they noticed I had full, high, full, uh, PT scores, like high PT scores. I could run fast. I could do maximum pull-ups and sit-ups and everything. They're like, Hey man, Dude, you're killing it. It was the, uh, I think he was the first sergeant at the time. The first sergeant was like, hey, listen, like you're killing it. Like you have like great PT scores and you passed the writing course and everything. You know what? I'm going to put you with the real good unit. Um, and I'm like, you know, what's that? Uh, first sergeant or whatever. And then he's like, hey, I'm going to send you to first Marine division. This is going to be real cool. And first Marine division sounds cool because you're like, I want to be first, right? Right. But I didn't know first Marine division meant first marine division as in the grunt unit in camp pendleton yeah so i still ended up with the grunt unit still okay so it's i literally got attached to the grunt unit as a reporter so i did everything that the grunts did so there was really no difference other than the fact that my job in that whole battalion was to take pictures and write stories but i was still humping um, I was still doing uh, marching, all types of stuff. I was still doing all the stuff that grunts do. But on top of that, I had to process photos and write stories on top of that, of that unit. And they hated me. They hated me before deployment at 29 Palms out there. They hated me uh, most of the deployment when I was deployed to Iraq. And then um, towards the end. And then when we got back, they loved me because they realized that everything that I did while I was out there was to document everything that they did as well as to memorialize their fallen brothers and brothers and sisters and, uh, you know, women, if it ever happened, but, yeah. uh, their fallen brothers. So what happened, there was a lot of times that I would do, you know, stories on, you know, 14 hour patrols and, you know, helicopter, uh, operations or mounted patrols or foot patrols and like, operations with the local populace but a lot of the stories i ever did was stories relating to the deaths of the marines okay. so literally imagine i'm this guy who got attached to a grunt unit that they just met seven months ago because i just attached to them and i'm asking them how they feel about their buddy just getting killed yeah it's rough that's a rough so, job so I said, hey, you know, how do you feel about it? Like, what memory do you want to keep on? And they're like, are you serious? Can you get this camera and can you get this microphone on my face? Can you imagine this? I have this recorder and I'm doing that. 
while they're overseas. They miss their family, and then their buddy just died, and I'm asking them how they felt about it. Now, who are you reporting to? Like, did you uh, go to, I don't know, the uh, Stars and Stripes? Well, actually, that's civilian, isn't it? Or, or Yeah, it's civilian. So what happened was, once you get attached to a unit, mm-hmm. the, you belong to that unit. So I was in that infantry battalion. Okay. So I reported to... Um, at that specific time because they didn't know what to do with me. It was the admin shop. So S1 shop um, Because they're just like, oh, you know, you're a writer and we write so I guess you know, the gunny, yeah, our gunny or e7 could uh, Look after me and just have accountability, but I was really a lone wolf Because I was an NCO at the time. I was no wait. I was a I was an e3 and then I got promoted to NCO when I turned into an nco it was like you can handle yourself so you should be good um and it was just like um i had to stay busy and make sure that the gunny thought i was busy at the same time (laughs) um because he that gunny would report to my other gunny who was in fallujah because i was just outside of fallujah at another camp called camp habania that was next to al takadam tq yeah so we were kind of out in the boonies a little bit um so i was on my own but i just had to behave yeah, yeah. Basically. Where did you behave and put and, and submit stories via email? Yeah, and I guess that's my question. Where were your stories going? Were they um, going to the historian or or which which I guess outlet was were you writing for, or or would they just pimp it out to whoever needed it? I was writing for actually, I was writing for uh, the Marine Corps internal use. So okay. I wrote for the Marine Corps internal use, but what happened was. When we put it on the website, then external sources would pick up our stories from our websites and okay. say, oh, okay, that's the guy on the front. We can just repurpose this story and give him credit for the photo, and then it'll be our story for okay. AP. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Uh, what year was that, that first deployment? First deployment was in 2006. Okay. I was I was there in 06 uh, flying out of TQ myself while well, we were flying we flew all over the place but yeah we saw a lot of TQ because that was well 06 was Ramadi um, 05 was Fallujah one I think yeah uh, which I was part of both of those we were flying ops and uh, day and night day and night supporting the Marines for those those battles and then I can't remember when Fallujah two was it was around the same time wasn't it uh, 06 maybe yeah, it was um it I that I really was I was there for that one. It was 06 to I was there from 06 to 07, but it lasted a little, little bit longer than that. Um but just shy of 2008, it started to calm down because the forces got transferred over to Afghanistan partially. Mm-hmm. Um and then that's when I I volunteered to go back because I'm like, I don't know this garrison life because after I redeployed back to the states, um, in 2007, I went back to Camp Pendleton, but not in First Marine Division. I actually went to the General's Building to work for, for the base paper. So imagine I'm used to being out in the field, being on my own program, and they put me in this newspaper environment, you know, like Superman or something. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean, I yeah. have to be a different person. And I don't like it because it's garrison and, you know, they're worrying about how ironed your uniform is. And oh, things sure. Like that. Yeah, yeah. The real world. And I'm like, yeah, and they're like, and I'm like, are you serious right now? I'm like, we don't care about none of that. We're trying to survive and stay alive. Are you kidding me? They're like, who wants to go to Afghanistan? I was like, me. Yeah. And I, vol- and I volunteered to go to Afghanistan in 2008 uh, to, to Kandahar. 
Yeah. And that's one of the biggest things, man. Once you get and and civilians have a hard time understanding that, you know, once you experience combat and that life, that deployed life, you you can bitch and complain about it as much as you want when you're there. But when you get out, it's the shit that you miss. The weird dichotomy is that you experience these things and it's not the most comfortable and you hate it when you're there. But once you get home, you're like, I want to be back there so bad. It's the weirdest thing. It's weird because I think that you just kind of create this identity and a purpose when you're deployed and when you're in the military that when we come back to civilian life and back to the states we feel like we don't know ourselves yeah and that's why we have the problems of suicide and sure and yeah. drinking and we lash out and and you know when people don't understand us it feels like we're being angry or you know or upset but it's not that it's just we feel like we have a loss of identity and that's why i was like yo send me back yeah. i don't know i don't know who i am i mean you know john Basilone, one of the most famous marines oh, that's yeah. what happened to him he was like send me back i'm he's like i'm here i'm a hero and everybody thinks i'm awesome and i'm you know hanging out with uh, marilyn monroe and all types of stuff but even this feels empty i don't feel like i have a purpose send me back yeah, then he no. was killed on uh, Iwo Jima, I believe it was. Yeah, Iwo then Jima. He, yeah. yeah, then he was then he was killed later on. Yeah. Um, have you ever purpose. have you ever read um, Sebastian Younger's book called Tribe? No, I haven't, I haven't read that yet. I've it, been reading some. It's some really books, that it's about his experiences. He he was up in Restrepo, and and he kind of he did a famous documentary about Restrepo, which is in the Korangal Valley up in Afghanistan, and and his cameraman got killed, and he came home, and he was just going through through lots of shit. And he's like, what am I going through? Why do I miss, why do I miss being in Afghanistan? It's not a normal thing. And so his no. whole book starts back with like the native Americans and their tribal, he might, he might go further back than that, but I think that's where he focuses on and their, their tribal lifestyle. And he goes all the way up to, you know, like the battle of Britain and how during the blitz and the, uh, the Germans were bombing the British, how you would think that was the worst time ever for them but they look back on it as the good times and i yeah. think i think where it's psychologically what that is is um like i live in north carolina and every every couple of years we have a, a pretty big hurricane and you go to work right you go you punch your cards you get your paycheck you just kind of live life the way you live life and then a hurricane comes and everyone kind of puts the mundane aside and they go on uh uh I don't know if you would call it survival mode, but people help each other out. You know, things change yep. and, and the mundane kind of disappears and you start feeling like a human again, right? You're not just boxed up in your house. You're, you're going to neighbor's houses. You're making sure everyone's okay. And then after the storm, you're making sure everyone's okay. And then when you look back on it, despite any damage or anything like that, you look back on things like deployments, hurricanes, the battle of Britain. And you say, those are actually kind of good. Or, or uh, the day after 9-11, right? You, you have the worst terrorist attack in the history. And the day after you look back on it, you go, I miss September 12th, 2001. Yeah. Because of the feeling of us just being together and going through the shit that, you know, you know, as a group makes you feel like you're human again. Makes you feel like you're part of a tribe again. And it's kind of crazy. It's like people, it's, it's weird. It's like the opposite of how it is now. You... You know me. I you know I wear a leather uh, flag jacket or a flag bandana or or say I love this country, and it gets twisted into some crazy political rhetoric. Like I'm supporting a specific person. Yeah. yeah. Like I can't even say I, I you know I love the president and you know what he's doing and stuff like that these days. I remember you know after September 12th 
everybody had a flag. Yeah. Yeah, and it but didn't matter your political beliefs we, at that point. Yeah, we weren't even worrying about uh, was that Bush? We weren't even worrying about uh George W at that time. It mm. was it was just like the togetherness. Why why can't we have the same togetherness without that political rhetoric? You know, everybody's going to have their thoughts about, you know, a president. Not not everybody's going to be happy, but I just think it's weird how like how soon we forget. Yeah. Every, every it didn't matter what it was. It was a doghouse. It was a a restaurant it was inside the house it was on the patios it was on the uh, porch everything had a flag on it yeah but now if you were to have a flag outside it's like oh you you must be this type of individual and i, I just think it's weird but i i love i i so much miss that and i i love the fact that we had so much pride in our country and so much togetherness and so much unity on september 12th yeah yeah because we all felt a part of the same tribe and now, and now we're so splintered and frac fractioned. I don't know what you'd call it, but we're we're, Frag, we're fragmented. Yeah, fragmented. yeah. And it's like you you forget the commonality that we all share, and and it's okay yeah. to disagree, right? It's okay if if um to some extent, you know, it's okay that it, you know if I believe people should be taxed at this much, and you believe people should be taxed at that much, who gives a shit in the end, right? We're all part of the same tribe. Nowadays, it's oh, you don't like the way I think. Well, fuck you. I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> Or, you know, you, you don't support who I voted for. Well, you're the enemy. And it's like, no, we're, we're all on the same ship here. And if we don't work together, we're going to sink. So it's, yeah, we're, we're in a weird place. And, and like I said, if, if we could have September 12th, and that's such a weird thing to say, but if we could have that wow. September 12th back, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's just a. You, just, you probably just influenced a new song. Like, I'm probably going to name it September 12th. That'd be awesome. Sweet, man. Yeah. I want a writing credit. <laughs> oh yeah no I, you, it, i'll put your name in there i'm sure. just i'm just messing with you <laughs> all right put your name in there. you can you could you could also probably like premiere it on on a podcast too. oh that'd, that'd be, be sweet dope. that'd be sweet oh i was gonna ask you can i sure. can i do some intros and outros with some of your music if i credit it back to you and that's what i was going to talk about that's what i was going to get into um with my music just real quick like yes you can use my music and then also on top of that my mission is you know, as a CEO of uh, Ninja Punch Music, Ninja Punch Music is an all military imprint. Okay. Um, and so everybody on there is either active duty or they're a military veteran of all services. Sweet. Anything you can imagine. I even have a Coast Guard guy on there. Nice, nice. So, <laughs> like yeah, I say, no, like, like that. <laughs> and so, so I came up with this label, and then I was like, "Hey, it needs funding." So what I did was I I ran a contest, and this will come full circle. I ran a contest. Um, to find the the top military musicians, and I had a, about a hundred. I ended up narrowing it down to thirty, and then once I narrowed it down to thirty, I I um, launched a Kickstarter campaign, and we success we successfully funded a Kickstarter campaign um, to fund the creation of the first ever all military album solely created online. So we haven't even met each other. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So though so the album's on Spotify and everything, it came out on uh, Veterans Day of 2019 and so i'm saying all this to say is i have a surplus of music from artists all around the world i'm talking about rap rock country pop even gospel and even instrumental i have all of that already queued up uh, created by military individuals and i can i could uh make sure i give some of that uh to you for because this is a nonprofit and stuff like that, just to help the guys out with their morale and stuff. Because cool. we've been told that the music has been a sense of like therapy for guys. Um, because we actually we performed our first show at Burbiz Las Vegas 
and we haven't even met each other and we performed for the first time as well. That's um, awesome. Yeah, it's crazy. And we performed and, you know, literally a dude, he had goosebumps on his arm. He's like, man, I can't tell you like the feeling that I, I get, you know, hearing it from you guys because I know you guys understand but you're able to put it into words because you guys are musicians as well. And you guys did that after the uh, military and yeah. you, you mean so much. And it was just like, wow, just to get that validation from people. And it, and we realized how powerful music can be. And we're like, wow, if we could just keep touching people like that um, and letting them hear their message, because it's their message as well. Um, and that's why I created the label because I was like, there's all these you know, people, artists, musicians and stuff like that, you know, you'll hear a country song or whatever, and they'll be singing about the red, white, blue or whatever, but they're not a military veteran or they're not an active duty military member. So it's kind of like, you know, thank you for that song, but I want to hear it from the horse's mouth. Yeah. And so that's why I made that uh, label and I have like lots of music for you. Let's, let's talk about that. While you were in the Marines, were you still, um, rapping and working with with music how did that did did you put that on hold or how did that kind of come about while you were still on active duty so when i was on active duty i kind of put it on hold and i really didn't hone my skills or take it seriously you know i was doing it here or there but i wasn't very good and um i had to put it on hold i was deployed and stuff um however in 2008 before 2008 deployment to afghanistan i decided whatever it takes I'm going to do whatever it takes and I'm going to record while I'm overseas. So I got this recorder that only needed batteries. Mm -hmm. So I brought the recorder over there with batteries and I would record songs overseas and stuff like that. And like kind of like hone that. And then I started getting better, but I really, really didn't think of like music as a profession, as in like when I get out, I'm going to like start my own record label and make songs and be on Spotify and all that until like, two years before I got out because I didn't I wasn't taking it seriously as a business and I was told by certain people in the, uh, you know some Marines like yo if you really want to make this pop off you have to get out like because you got to do one mission at a time you know you got to take it seriously so I got out and after I got out I decided to go to music school in LA and I learned music production as well as the entertainment business because I realized that I wanted to because I was in the Marine Corps so long, I knew I was a little on the older side as far as an artist. Mm-hmm. I wanted to also beef up my resume and be like a younger CEO. So kind of like a, a, a military version of Puff Daddy, you know? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I see that. So, so, and then I started taking it seriously. And then a lot of political stuff started coming up, you know, the, the, the kneeling during the national anthem and then me being a patriotic black dude, people would ask me, Hey, what do you think of Colin Kaepernick kneeling during the anthem? And I would be like, Oh my gosh, why are you asking me? Cause I'm black, you know? Yeah. And, and then, so I made the song called star spangled banger, which is a flip on the star spangled banner because the original version has a racist third verse. So I basically kind of did like a, a hip hop, uh, rock infused track called Star Spangled Banger talking about my frustrations in America of people wanting me to be a monolith. It's like, I why can't I be a patriotic black man? I don't understand yeah. it. Why can't Colin Kaepernick kneel? I want him to kneel. The reason why I want him to kneel is so I can feel so proud when I stand. You know what I mean? Sure. It's kind of like you need to have sunshine wouldn't be so great if you didn't have rain. You know, it's one of those things, you know, yeah. I want the I want I want him to have the freedom and I want me to have the freedom as well. C- Colin Kaepernick hasn't seen or done any 
uh, funeral details where he's draping a flag over a body overseas. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He doesn't under he doesn't get that. He didn't do it. He didn't do it over there. He didn't do it here. He doesn't understand it. It took you know Nate Boyer to to talk to him, but he doesn't understand it. So who are who are we? Um, and that's another thing about the veteran community. Some of us are very entitled. Who are we to feel a certain way, or even civilians with different political beliefs? Who are we to say, hey? Oh, this person has to be like this, or this person has to be like that. Why can't we have the freedom to do whatever we want? If you really truly believe in freedom, and let people be as long as they're not hurting nobody, and, and you know, you know, have a real human discussion with each other and talk to each other and be like, hey, listen, I'm I don't agree with that standpoint because I feel this way, but that doesn't mean I'm gonna like trip out or I'm not gonna be like you know wish death on you or something like that. Like, yeah. That's why it's called America. It's like the land of the free. Let us be free. You can just dis- you can disagree and you can agree. You can do whatever you want, but we should we should you know follow those American values and respect each other's opinion and each other's experiences and have an understanding that we don't understand where Kaepernick came from and Kaepernick doesn't understand where we came from as veterans. I had um, Colonel Allen West on. Uh, I guess it was a couple months ago now. And he had some some profound insights as far as that goes. So it was it was it was a wild story in that he grew up in Atlanta, literally in the shadow of the of Martin Luther King's church. And yeah. when he went to Florida, he wasn't allowed to swim on the beach because he was black and his family wasn't allowed to swim on the beach. He ended up, I guess he's in his 50s now, so we'll say 50 years later or 40 years later, becoming yeah. the congressional representative of the district where that beach is located and it and it wow. he was like it shows you yeah we have a you know every nation has a checkered past but the fact that we can learn and grow and we only learn and grow when we talk about things uh when we when we pit each other against each other like we're the enemies and it, it you don't grow you fall apart he, he said that he gets a lot of hate from from democrats because he's not a democrat and so he's like, who are you? He'll be at like a, you know, a rally or something like that. And yeah. someone will come up and start screaming at him because he's black and he's supposed to be a Democrat. And what are you doing playing for the other team? And it's like, we're not, there's no other team, right? We're all the same team. <laughs> uh, we just have different viewpoints. And yeah, I don't know. I, I don't want this, this podcast to get, get, get all negative, but it's like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, no, I mean, it's, I mean, I feel like this, these are things that we should talk about. Yeah, they are. They are. Um, because we're not all the same. And I feel like we should converse on these things because if if we have a better understanding of each other, we treat each other better and we feel better. And if we're feeling better, this is solving that that problem that we have in the veteran community with suicide and those other issues. And we'll feel like we fit in more when we start to open up and talk to people a little bit more open and honestly. So I feel like this feeds into everything of helping these veterans and military be healthy so we we uh boost morale um because these conversations need to be had we shouldn't just we shouldn't just feel like we can only talk to veterans and military we need to feel like we can talk to anybody because we're strong enough to come from a standpoint to just understand another person be like you don't you don't have to understand or you don't have to agree with me being a republican or me being a democrat just I just want to open ear and then I'll listen to you as well. And if we just did that, I feel like the world would be a better place. Our communities would be a better place. And especially the veteran community and military community would be a better place. Yeah. Just go to a Silky's hike and you can see the, I mean, 
no one cares. Like on a silky hike, you don't care about the other person's politics. You don't care about their sexuality. <laughs> you don't care about. Have you ever been to a, a, a silky hike? Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, for yeah sure. they're awesome. But yeah, you put everything aside, and then you come together with that commonality. And, and I think that's why it's such a healing uh, event when we throw those things. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. It it's it's physical and it's and it's emotional and it's mental all at once, and it feels like you know. You, you just it's freeing especially because you're in silkies so yeah. it's really freeing yeah how did how did your experiences in deployment affect you as an artist um i mean it it's me i mean i like the thing is is um so let me backtrack a little bit to give you a little bit more context but mm-hmm. when i first got out of the marine corps i didn't go by the marine rapper um because I run fast. I like, my name was Sonic. Like, <laughs> so my rap name was like R Sonic, you know, for Raymond and Sonic. So my, it was R Sonic. And so I was kind of like being separate, like for two years, I wasn't really like, Oh yeah. Oorah. I'm a Marine. Um, kind of like you were discussing earlier. I wasn't like really connected with the veteran community or military community at all. I was just kind of like trying to prove that, you know, I'm like the dopest MC, right? I'm the mm-hmm. dopest rapper until I started to kind of realize that the best thing to do is give everybody all of me. Like I'm a Marine, I'm a rapper, you know, I, I come from a family of five, like, you know, you know, single mother, like, you know, impoverished for a little bit, you know, foster home, stuff like that, living on the streets and stuff like that for a little bit, uh, living with other people you know, I come from Newark, New Jersey, one of the worst places, things like that. Like, I, I realized that everything, and including my deployments, was something that I always had to talk about in my music. So to answer your question, how does my deployments affect my music? It, it affects it, it affects the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like the only reason and the only purpose that I have of living today is to tell the story of those individuals who didn't make it overseas. Because I feel like we lost some good guys over there. So, you know, some really badass guys who are even more badass than me. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like I'm just like a journalist that was in shape, that was like with the fronts. <laughs> you yeah, know, I didn't feel yeah. like I was like a Rambo or nothing. <laughs> but, you know, but I feel like those experiences made me realize that. I'm here for a reason. And the reason why I'm here is to tell their stories and to entertain and to just like bring, you know, some good morale to people and make them laugh through my funny raps and things like that. And, and so it, the military service and my deployments has to affect it because if it doesn't, all of that was for nothing. Sure. I have to tell, I have to tell the story. I have to. Where, where would you be now, I guess, as a person? And and I guess we can also say creativity, although it'd be a little redundant. Where would you be? Had you not gone to the Marines? I would be probably like a stoner talking about the same shit all the other rappers are talking about. <laughs> yeah, I guess it does give you a, a a uniqueness. You know, there's not many there's not many combat rappers out there. I don't even think what's his name there, the Shaggy. I don't think he might have been Desert Storm. I don't, I don't remember. You know what I'm talking yeah, about, no, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. I don't. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure his his background, but I know he was he was a Marine for sure. Um, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really sure, but I know he, he started to get into music towards, towards the end and yeah. started getting, being successful and things like that, but I'm not sure. But yeah, there's not many, 
that's the thing too. There's not because there's not many combat veteran uh musicians it's mm-hmm. very rare i i liken this whole movement this whole um military musician movement to gangster rap because you can't fake it you were or you weren't mm-hmm. is you were you were a gangster or you were you weren't a gangster you 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 were a combat veteran or you're not it's just it is what it is yeah so, and you can't fake it in your music because why because people who served during the time if you said hey i was in iraq and i did a b and c i've been making music for years and like one time somebody saw me you know in some like newspaper clipping or whatever and they didn't know i was a i was a marine and they're like oh this guy this guy wasn't a marine and it was so crazy from the beginning of my service to the end of my service it was like a timeline down facebook saying no i served with him no i served with him here hmm. i was in iraq with him i was it yeah. was crazy like it was, I was just like, wow, the support that the military and the veteran community can give you at all times is crazy. How and, ab- and I love it. I love it. How about, do you think being in combat has changed you as an artist in, in any sort of way versus if you had just, you know, been sitting at a desk somewhere and, and... yeah, yeah. I, I feel it has changed me, uh, being in combat zones and, and being a recording artist because it makes it more interesting. It's more fun. I can like, now I can talk my shit. (laughs) You know what I mean? Cause I, yeah, like, like it, obviously it wasn't something I'm like, Oh yeah, I want to get shot at so I could talk my shit as a rapper after the Marine Corps. You don't think about that. Like I was like, yo, I want to be able to, to immortalize these people through song. And now I can do so because I was there. However, if I was, imagine just like, say if I was at the base newspaper my whole time in the military, it would probably be more of a humorous take I would have on it. Right. I'd probably still do it, but I would probably be like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I'm not anywhere near a combat dude at all. I have all these paper cuts. I'm such a loser. You know, I'd probably like poke fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's a common topic that comes up um, is a lot of the guys who, and, and there are a lot in, in, you know, veterans that I meet. Uh, who, who never went to combat by no fault of their own. It's just, you know, that's where the chips fell and, and they carry that with them. You know, that it's like, uh, uh, you know, I, there's really no way to describe it. Right. It, it's like you're trained for a job and that job involves combat. And when you don't get to go to combat, it's like, you, you don't feel like you've, you've done what your purpose is to do. And, and that can weigh really, really heavy, both in the, the survivor's guilt and just heavy on the minds of some of these guys. I, I talked to a guy who was close to suicide, pulled yeah. over on the side of the road and was like, what, what, you know, I didn't get to do what I was supposed to do. And, and people in his unit died and he felt like shit afterwards. And I'm like, wow, that's, you know, that's makes sense. And, and that's got to be a tough thing to live with. Yeah. I'm, I mean, and that's another thing we put like a burden on ourselves. We don't know what would have happened. You know, he, that individual there, he was meant to live and those individuals were weren't meant to live sure because they were in that situation and it's sad but it it happened that way and it's all perspective if you look at it like oh man you know i have this survivor's guilt that's not going to help us at all we need to look at it from the perspective of you know what my brothers are you know unfortunately not here anymore but i'm going to dedicate my life and my purpose, and I will have the mission of keeping these guys alive through, you know, a silky hike. Every, you know, if they're on a silky hike with me, I'll tell that next man about how good 
you know, Jones was. Jones was a dope dude, da 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 You know what I mean? Let's, you know, let's have a drink. Let's talk about these stories over a beer or whatever it may be and keep this guy alive as opposed to having this black cloud over your head. It's all perspective. It's all how you look at it. Unfortunately, you know, I have guys that I'm just like, man, it could have been me, but I didn't go on that particular patrol and somebody else did and they sat where I usually sat and they got killed. Like literally I had situations like that. Yeah. I didn't go out one time and, and the guy who sat in my place, he ended up getting killed that day. But it wasn't, it just wasn't meant to, to be. So yeah. I don't think, I don't think we should really beat ourselves up. We need to get out. We need to go to these Silky's heights. We need to go to these gatherings, these get togethers and all of that and really get to know people and, and look at it like this now because he had, because, you know, whoever, you know, private Smuckatelli or whatever his name was, because he passed away, now another troop, another soldier, another Marine, another airman can go and say, hey, listen, like, my, my bro passed away. Let me, let me tell you how great he was. Like, he was, he was a dope dude. Let's, let's keep him alive and this and that. And, like, let's share stories, you know? Like, we can look at it like that. We just have to have a more positive outlook. Yeah. How, how do you think the arts, and, and I'm talking all type of arts, I guess, think about like vet TV or think about range 15, music, singing, writing, whatever it is. How do the arts help veterans cope with the reintegration process? The arts, I think they have been one of the biggest game changers for, for veterans. Uh, you know, the, the movies that we're making, the albums that we're making, the, uh, you know, vet TV with the streaming service, you know, the, the comedy, comedy shows and all that. I, I feel like those things are very, they're very instrumental in helping us. It's kind of like a cathartic or a, like, a, it's like a, a therapy, a therapy for us because it's kind of like finding something that we can relate to in the form of entertainment without it being so hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. To swallow. You know what I mean? It's, Kind of like that Mary Poppins thing. It's like a spoonful of sugar and stuff like that. <laughs> Access is pretty unprecedented too in the modern age. You know, like like you can you can in your house, I assume, you know, put down a song and and instantly give you know millions of people access to it. Or you can write a movie and put it uh, again. You can stream it. Or I like to do. Um, did you ever see? Did you ever see Vice uh, put out a? a series of documentaries called noisy. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's so cool. Cause I saw a little, a, kind of like a parallel between these young kids from all over. They were from Atlanta, Chicago, and it was basically about the trap movement and drill movement and, and hip hop and how these guys were like 14 years old, uh, under house arrest and they're making full hip hop albums in their basements, right? Because they couldn't leave their house, and it reached millions of people, and and obviously got them the money and all that. But it also helped them reach other, you know, other other people with the same experiences across the country. And I yeah. think I think the parallel is vets are doing the same thing because what you know during Vietnam, if you were going through some shit, and you lived in a suburb of Chicago, how would you connect with uh, someone like Donnie O'Malley out in? san diego or how would you connect with um let's take this podcast for example like you know the fact that you're connecting 
with all the the most of my listeners the reverent warriors but the reverent warriors and vet tv people i mean it's just amazing it's amazing what technology has done uh, in that realm crazy access changed the whole game really does um and and then even the ability to you know if the same thing you could even say 15 well yeah about 15 20 years ago where would you like how would you even create a rap album with or any music album with people from around the country, right? How would you, like, where would you even start? <laughs> Go to a recording studio, drop down $10,000 and try to, like, how would you even do it? You would literally have to mail everybody the music after that's done. After you have the musicians have the music, you mail the music out, and then the vocalists would have to sing their part on top of that and then mail it back to the studio. Yeah, it's crazy. But now we... Now, we did a whole album in three weeks, 20 yeah. songs. I mean, 18 songs. Wow. And you weren't so even it's, in the same crazy. room. We, we weren't in the same room. We don't even know each other. That's the first time we've even like interacted online. That's crazy. And How- it was in, it was in Korea. It was in Hawaii. It was in, um, in Japan and then the United States. How, so we know your music resonates with veterans. How, how does civilians respond to your music? They, they love it because I've, I've not only done military stuff, I've done a lot of like roasting politicians. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I love your um, David Hogg one. That was making me laugh. Yeah. Like I don't like if, if they're wrong, they're wrong. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, same with me. I even, I even roasted myself at the end of the year because I was just like, ah, I was like, what do you guys think the last disc is going to be? And I was just like, oh, I got to diss myself. And I, I didn't, I did not hold back because nobody knows me as much as me and I know where I'm lacking. And so, like, I hit myself pretty hard on that, you know. Um, but, yeah, I've been able to, to connect to civilians because I've done a lot of things outside of the military scope. And then the military background and the, the resume that I have because I served kind of just adds a little thickness to it for civilians. They're like, oh, okay, he can talk about political patriotic issues because he served. So now when I say something it's taken a little bit more seriously. Mm-hmm. So they, they respond, they respond. Well, I actually have a lot of civilians who really support. Um, there's a lot of civilians who either had like a friend that was in the military or their like dad was in the military or something. So it's not hard for them to relate. Um, and so I, I love it. I, I love civilians um, intermixing and, and mingling with the veteran community because I feel like we shouldn't, we shouldn't keep to ourselves. We should kind of like get out there and like learn different things and, and just see the world a little bit more. Have you gotten any heat, um, you know, for the, for the sole fact that you're a second amendment supporter, you know, your half your videos, you got an AR 15 in your hand. Uh, has anyone come after you as far as that goes or social media come after you or anything like that? Oh yeah. I've had, Oh man. Um, see the thing is I went viral multiple times because of the very controversial political message that I've had. Okay. And because of that, I've gained a lot of fans, but I've also gained some death threats. I've also gained a lot of different comments. I've, you know, I've been hacked. People hacked into my, like my, my bank account through my cash app. Um, Oh yeah. I've heard, I've heard people are going after that stuff. Yeah, man, because we have that access, there's a lot of different things you can do. So, I made sure I locked everything down and I have like so many different like password initiations and verifications on my phone. Like it's hard for me to remember the password to the password to the password. Sure. Um, so yeah, man, I've, I've caught some heat in that way. 
but the majority of it has been very positive because people are like, yo, dude, like you must be doing something big if people either love it or hate it. I don't, I, that's what I want. I don't want anybody to, to like be neutral or mediocre about it. I want you to love it or hate it sure. because I want you to feel, I want you to feel if you're not feeling something I need to write deeper, you know? So I need you to feel something. I need you to disagree with me. I need you to agree with me. I need you to love me. I need you to hate me. That's that's all I want. I don't want nothing else. That's the way I look at it. People are afraid of that now. You know, they 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 don't want to feel uncomfortable. And, and I don't know what that is. A, a friend of mine had told me a, a term the other day. I thought it was funny. He says, it's because of the lawnmower parents. And I've heard of helicopter parents, but lawnmower parents mow down any sort of um, adversity that children can face. And so when they become adults and they go out there and they find all these people with differing opinions and different, um, uh, you know, experiences in life, they don't know how to, they don't know how to handle it. So they just, they, they handle it with anger and outbursts, <laughs> tantrums. Yeah. And it's, and it's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. So I just don't understand it. And then the thing is, it's like, I, and you know, I'm a father myself. I literally let my my daughter like experienced things and and you know there comes a time where i have to be dad and you know a parent and be like no because i said so you know those certain things mm -hmm. but for the most part i don't want to clip her wings and have her thinking that she can't do something or you know she has to be comfortable all the time or everybody's the same or if she wants to do something you know i'm going to i'm just because i might disagree you know um, she's not going to do it. No, I, I obviously not everybody's going to like what the next person does, but at the same time, I don't want, you know, my daughter or my family, my loved ones, anybody around me to feel that they can't do something cause it's going to make somebody else feel uncomfortable. Yeah. I actually like feeling uncomfortable because that makes me be, that, that actually makes me be less complacent. I, it, it's like a, when somebody makes me feel uncomfortable, um, kind of like uneasy or something, it actually is an indicator for me. Like if somebody doesn't like something or I feel uncomfortable or I feel like embarrassed or I don't feel like I'm doing my best, it actually is an indicator to do better actually. Sure. So I actually, I, 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 I love, I love when somebody's like, Hey, I, I disagree. And I'm like, Oh, well, why? You know? And then, then I can get that information. It's like, it would be dumb if everybody's agreeing. It's like we go to Baskin Robbins and everybody's getting the same flavor, even though there's 31. No, get get whatever you want, you know. Yeah, yeah. That that level of discomfort allows you to to explore and say, all right. Well, I like to like if I hear something like you were saying, you know, if I someone some celebrity sends out a tweet and everyone's pissed off about it, I like to say, okay, why am I pissed off about it? Right? What what is it? And then how dedicated am I to my beliefs that I'm pissed off at that? So usually I end up having to read a book or something to be like, okay. Am I sure that this is the side I want to be on? And, and I've changed my mind and I've changed who I am so many times just by reading it and thinking it and, and, and going through that critical process that I forget what you call that critical analysis or whatever, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I just realized we've been going for over an hour, man. This is when it goes fast like this, it means it was a good interview. Cause, uh, <laughs> Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. I, didn't, I didn't even realize that either. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I just want I just wanted to, I just wanted to add to that just real quick. Um, that when I, I feel when I, I, I do do self-reflection too, like how you're saying, I'll do self-reflection and be like, why does this bother, bother me? Why is this situation bothering me? Why is, why is this issue bothering me? Why is this person bothering me? And then I realized that 
it's telling me something about myself or an insecurity that I have about myself. Cause I sure. care for some reason. Why do I care of another man or another woman is doing something? It's because I have an insecurity within myself. That's how I feel about it. Like, why would you care what another person is doing if it's not hurting somebody? Like why? Who cares? Like and, that's the way I look at it. And and ironically, it's part of the creative process. You know, like when you create something and you put you bleed into it and then you hit that publish button, that's a scary, scary position to be in because you're taking something and you're saying, Okay, world, tear this apart <laughs> which is what people do. <laughs> and oh, that's a that's a, a hard thing. I, I love it. I love doing that. So I love doing this podcast because uh you know, I, and then I, I'll sit there and I'll be like, man, that was total horseshit. That was terrible. And then I'll listen to her. I'll people will be like, Hey man, I liked what you did. I'm like, Oh, okay. I feel better now. <laughs> and that's what, and that's why like, it's crazy. Like when I'm creating too, like how you said on, on, on podcasts or, you know, shows or, or music or whatever it is, I have to really remind myself. It's funny that you said that earlier. I have to remind myself to not be swayed or influenced by somebody else's opinion while I'm writing my opinion. Yeah. I, I really have to think that. So a lot of times I'll, I'll be writing some some music and I'm like, oh, I can't. I'm, my Part of my brain is like, oh, you can't say that because they're going to say this. And I'm like, no, I'm going to say it be, because they they may not like it good. You know, mm -hmm. at first I was, you know, I was kind of like skeptical of being like a patriotic black dude because I didn't want, you know, black people to think that I don't I'm like a sellout or whatever it is. But I'm just like, listen, if you don't understand that I love being black and that I love America at the same time, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. You know, I don't I, I can't I, I can't. You're not going to live. You, I mean, no, I'm, not, I'm not living for you. You're not going to live for me. So I just got to explain how I'm coming from. And, and if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. And that's what it is. But we can't be get mad at each other for no reason. So it's kind of like it's kind of like that type of thing. Yeah. If if you were to drive people towards uh, where they can find you, where they can learn about you, what, what's what's the best way? Well, the best way to find me is on Instagram or any other social media network. Um, so that's at the Marine Rapper, T H E M A R I N E R A P P E R, and at Ninja Punch Music, which is my all military music label. Yeah, when did that um, start? When did you start that? So I started that about two years ago. And for those out there who may not know what Ninja Punch is, because I know that it might just be a Marine Corps thing, but Ninja Punch means NJP, which is non-judicial punishment, which means you got a record. So okay. because you got a record, it was like a play on words of Ninja Punch music. You know what I mean? Sure. So because like we'd be like, oh, I got in trouble. Oh, I was, I was Ninja punched Because one time I got Ninja Punch because I went, ua to go see my daughter after deployment and like i got drunk and everything and i was late for formation it was a crazy debacle and i got ninja punched so i was like hey let me turn a you know a negative situation into a positive situation and then open up a record label um two years ago and call it ninja punch music and then invite all the other military and veteran musicians to join me in this endeavor no matter what their genre or background is i mean yeah. i have I have all types of people. Every 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 demographic you can imagine is on there. Um, on that record that we just dropped, the, the record we just dropped was called "Sounds Like Freedom Volume One." It is a series, and I just told everybody to say what they want. I don't care if you're left. I don't care if you're right. I don't care if you're in the middle, moderate. If you know you want to say what you want, you can say what you want because we're not the same. Like we're all military veterans on there, 
but we're not all, you know, the same, like mm-hmm. we're all different, you know? So, and I wanted to show that. And so that's why I started it two years ago. And uh, they can check that out at Ninja Punch Music and at ninjapunchmusic.com. How about how about if folks want to send you? Uh, what if they're like, man, I am I'm the best guitarist in the Air Force. Can they send you shit to, to oh, listen to? And oh, for sure. Okay, cool. For sure. Uh, the the best way to send me some music, if, say if you're like a dope Air Force guitarist, the best way to send me music is literally to DM me because it doesn't matter how you send me send me music anyway because mm-hmm. I'm going to vet you because a lot of these artists I vetted for like years like yeah. I to see if they're a good person to see if they play well you know what I mean I'd rather work with an artist that maybe not as talented as the next man but they have a good attitude and they have that hunger like they're like hey I'm a legend like I'm going to do some great stuff I may not be there because I've only been playing guitar for two years but I'm going to be there I'd rather deal with that individual than a cocky person who's been you know playing guitar and they're like amazing but they're a douche like yeah. <laughs> I'd rather have a great person. So I'm a vet you. So the best way, the best way to contact me is just DM me on Instagram at the Marine rapper or, you know, my email, uh, Raymond at ninja punch music.com. You could send me music anywhere. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to listen to it. And if it's dope, it's dope. And the best way to get my attention is literally, if you say good morning, if you say good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Hey, um, Joe Schmo, airman, Joe Schmo from the, Air Force, and I, I would love it if you check out my music. That will get me to listen to your music. There's a lot of people who just send me links. Don't send me a link. If you just send me a link, you, you may not be listened to at all. So just yeah, keep that in mind. I'm always afraid um, to follow links. But that- yeah, <laughs> yeah. If 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 they say what it is, if they say, hey, this, this is the link. Here's my press kit. Here's you know, here's the podcast. Get to know me. How are you? Like. I will listen to it. Like in the Marine Corps, we were taught to have a greeting of the day. So, sure. yeah, you know, yeah. you say what's up. Hey, what's up? How, you know, what's going on? How was your day? Like, hey, bro, like something. Like sometimes they just shoot me a link and I'm like, yo, like you wouldn't like that. So why would you do that to me? Yeah. So just be respect, be respectful. And I'm not just saying it for me. I'm, I'm trying to drop some jewels for you musicians <laughs> out there. If you wonder why no exec has responded to any of your email. Cool. Well, hey man, I, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, we're gonna have to meet up at a at a hike at some point. Although I rarely get out oh, to the sure. West Coast, but whenever you're on the East Coast, you come out to another Burbiz, let me know. Because um, we it's it's a small world. We all kind of we're all interconnected. You know, we all know each other. Um, all right, man. Hey, I, I really really appreciate it. If people like you don't take your time and and tell these stories, well, I mean, it's like the whole point is to reach veterans that are isolated and and show them that you can be successful. You just have to you know, find that drive inside somewhere and, and, and just do it, you know, just, just get it done. And, and, um, yeah, without folks like you, then that story doesn't get out there. So, so your time is appreciated, my friend. Of course, man. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for, for, uh, meeting, being flexible and just, you know, talking with me and it's awesome. And I, I love all the work that you're doing with the podcast and helping out irreverent warriors and, and everything like that. So it's very appreciated. Too, man. Awesome. Awesome. All right, man. Well, you take care. All right, you too. Bye. All right, bye.